Welcome to the Hope Talks podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. You can also listen to episodes on our church YouTube channel. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. I'm Pastor Margaret Michael. Thanks for tuning in today, and today we're joined by Rick Chandler. Rick, it's good to have you. How are you doing today? Thank you, Grayson. It's good to be here. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity to share with you today. Both of are you. you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's good to have you here. Um, so we'll start out with something pretty light. We know we both don't like, I don't think you like cold much better than no, I like cold. No. And we're getting to that season, but there is one thing cold that a lot of people like, that's ice cream. Do you have a favorite ice cream? <laughs> That's an interesting question because, you know, I really try to watch the desserts and stuff. And there's one thing, Cheryl and I have this thing we tell people now, we don't buy ice cream. I mean, and bring it home. Because if there's ice cream in the house, uh-huh. I'm going to eat it. It's, it's my one weakness. I can walk by other things. So that's got to be a treat when we go out. Yeah. Um, it would be hard to pick one, but since you asked, I'll go with salted caramel mm. chocolate chunk. Yeah. Had that's, that a lot recently. <laughs> that's that one, good. So, yeah. Any place particular you like to get it from? I would say the two favorite would be Smiley's and Brewster's. Yeah. Came to my mind, too. That's so. a plug for the business. That's right. Yeah. yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, Rick, uh, just start out telling us about where you're from and about how you grew up. Well, uh, I was actually born in the city, in Harrisonburg, Um for the first few years of my life, I spent there. I came from a broken home. So uh, my mom and dad divorced when I was nine, the three youngest boys. I have one younger brother, five total of us. I'm number four in line. So we were six, nine, and 12, I think, were the three youngest. Um, so, yeah, it was in the poor section of town, I guess you'd say, tougher in a lot of ways, too. You know, at that age when you're young, right. you know, when you're, you're early years, you don't realize that. But looking back, it was it was quite obvious. And I've often wondered how my life would have been different if I'd ended up just staying in the city. But as God orchestrated it, um, I have an aunt and uncle I'm dearly thankful for, like I said, second parents, who never had their own children. They were in their mid-40s, I guess, and took the three of us in. They live over at Port Republic on the east side of the county. So from nine years old on, I grew up there, and that's what I still call home. So. That's pretty much home to me. I don't have a lot of memories from being in the city. Probably my guess is I've shielded some of those. Right. right. So as you grew up, was church a part of your... Yeah, that, well, that, that's a good transition. I was thinking about going into that, but it wasn't until I moved to Port Republic. Okay. So, you know, that transition for me was like day and night. You know, back in the city, we were very poor. I remember a number of times I had a grandmother that was with the son that tried to make sure we... Eight. There were times I remember we didn't have food. We would open a can, or she would, of uh, evaporated milk and mix it with water to stretch it, and we'd have some cereal maybe. But then moving to Port Republic, that was a part of their life. And Port Republic, if you're familiar at all, but it, and, and for those listening or not, you know, it's a very small village in between two rivers. It's not incorporated or anything, a couple hundred people, I guess. Uh, great place to grow up. And I was lucky enough that there were some kids that were around my age, 
you know, that we grew with and had you know others to play with and that type of thing. But church was an important part of it. So that was a big adjustment. Setting down for meals, cooked meals and stuff, just simple things like that were a big change for us, you know. So again, always looking back, I didn't realize it as much then, but looking back, so appreciative of that opportunity. Yeah. yeah. That's when it started for me. Mm-hmm. I was about nine. So I'm sure a very you transitioned to some good things, but you transitioned away from some things mm-hmm. that were familiar, um, family and so how does that affect one's life? Well, you know, it's interesting because you know, my dad was a truck driver, so he was gone literally all the time, all week. Come home maybe on a Friday or Saturday morning, you know, and he'd be there maybe a day and a half too, and had to head back out on Sunday. So I don't have, to be honest with you, that many memories. And I didn't feel like I really, you know, at that young age too, and having very little time, you know, really knew him yeah. that well. Yeah. So it was mostly my grandmother, which was my mother's mother. And mother, some, and it was tough. I know that they, you know, she married very early, and you know, then they started having yeah. children, five kids, yeah. so all boys. <laughs> Bless her heart. Um, so you know, I know that was tough. Yeah. So again, most of my, I guess, my transition from there was missing, you know, grandmother, some, yeah. and and mother, some, and so, you know, she had to start a new life. In those days, you know, the mothers were pretty much at home, so. She had no background in working at all, so she had to try to really t- yeah, take care right. of herself. Yeah. Yeah. And we were fortunate enough that the aunt and uncle that uh, did step up, you know, they were at a very stable uh, relationship, again, going to church and right. being faithful uh, to the Lord was part of that. And my uncle had a, you know, a pretty good job, too. So, But that was tough. It was a very small house. Uh, they didn't have bedrooms. And I remember he ended up getting a mobile home. And pulled it into the side yard, and they cut a doorway in the side off the kitchen, built a little breezeway, I guess what they call them. And so our bedrooms, the three younger boys, our bedrooms were there. Wow. And we go into the main part of the house to eat or one bath, so that was a challenge, too. You mentioned that once you started living with your aunt and uncle, that's when church became part of your life. Do you remember, and maybe it was at some point um, going to church then, with your aunt and uncle, maybe it was later, but do you remember when you uh, made that decision for yourself personally to accept Christ in Christ. your life? Yeah, you know, you, you get into a pattern of going to church. It's a regular thing, mm-hmm. you know, and then follow up with youth group and other things that we got involved with. But to really make that decision, to look at it and say, you know, what do I need to do in my heart and to understand that? I remember... Many years later, there was a pastor there, but I saw him many years later when I'm fast-forwarding real quick to plug this in, but he was a pastor in Dayton where I was a town manager many, many years later, like 25, 30, and I went to see him to tell him he had an impact on my life. So I would say it was about, um, I was about 17, I guess, or 18, and that's when I really transitioned, started thinking about it, not, you know, what, what does this really mean in my life personally, not just attending church. Right. I'm just doing yeah. what I'm supposed to be doing. Not that I didn't enjoy all those things, and we do, but you know, it becomes so personal when you make that decision for the Lord, and that was about the time for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We can go to church, but you know, God doesn't have any grandchildren, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. So it is making that transition from the kind of the hanging on to the coattails right. of the faith of those that took us yeah. right. to it becoming personal. Yeah, and I would just interject this, too, because there was a period there uh, from that time on that 
you know, I was studying in church, and then gradually I started falling away some. And I went through some, there's no other way to yeah. say it except party years. Yeah. Right. And I got in with, you know, guys that that's what they were into. And um, that was interesting because I did sports in high school and stuff, but this was just afterwards too, and there was a transition in there. But, you know, I think about the scripture that talks about, you know, building the foundation, of them, you know, they'll come back to it. That was probably, couldn't have been more true for me, you know, because there were a number of years that I didn't go and lived right beside the church. I grew up in, I didn't mention, but the Port Republic United Methodist Church. So seeing people going to church, which I had been doing before, and sitting there on Sunday morning was, you know, it was an interesting thing to look back on. I didn't think about it at first so much, and then, and then the God, you know, God was still working on me because then I started really feeling this guilt. And... uh Got back into church, remembering the foundation and the commitment I'd made, and uh, really got involved in. Uh, there were a couple that were doing the youth group, and one of them, the gentleman, he had to step away. His schedule was getting busier and busier, and he asked me if I would co-lead with his wife for the church youth, and that was a big move for me, but it was a wonderful move. You, know, you could see God's handprint all over that, because I really got closer to the Lord close to the kids and stuff, obviously, and wanted to make sure I was having a positive influence on them. So and as I transitioned from that, uh, while I was still doing that, that's when Cheryl and I started dating. That's when she came into my life. And just after we got married, the other lady that I was on it with, she wanted to transition out. Cheryl transitioned in. <laughs> so Cheryl and I did it as a couple for a number of years. Um, she could probably tell you how many. I don't remember exactly, but we, we were the youth leader yeah. for a number of years, and that was a lot of fun. And then after that, we just stayed true to it. I was going to ask how you and Cheryl met, so that was a great transition. And Well, it's interesting. I knew who she was. Her sister Karen and I are the same age. We graduated high school together, and Cheryl's four years younger. So I sort of knew who the pesky little sister was. No, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I didn't really know her that well, but truly, you know, I knew the family and her father was my PE coach, and he was uh, my track coach. So there was some connection there. And then uh, eventually my father-in-law, so I had him in three different roles. And he was a powerful man of God, so he had a great influence on my life too. Cheryl was very grounded in the church. Uh, I know she told me she went to Radford a couple of years and then transferred to JMU to finish her college. And she would get up and go to church a lot of times on Sundays. A lot of college kids didn't do that, you know. But yeah, yeah, that was a powerful influence. So as you went through your years of maybe some rebellion, right? Like mm. you, <laughs> um, talking about before the Lord drew you back in um, to that foundation, it makes me think about the, the parable of the sower. You know, sometimes mm. those seeds don't take root, but then God just plows the furrows of our heart, and it sounds like you came back um, to that foundation and... And now you're working with students who have the same, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. you the experiences that you had uh, before you were drawn back into that closer relationship with the Lord probably come in handy working with students. Yeah, you know, in, any any experience like that I think is a powerful thing if you use it in the right way for the Lord. You yeah. let the Lord use you in that capacity. And I think that's what Cheryl and I really wanted out of it to, to let them know there's going to be a lot of challenges in your life. There's going to be a lot of influences, a lot of pressures, you know, especially coming up from junior high and, and, you know, on up into high school and stuff. And so to be able to be, to have experienced some of that and to be able to share that, it is a, you know, it is a powerful thing. I'm not just telling you that because I believe it. 
and I'm a little older, so hopefully I have a little more wisdom. I lived it. Yeah. And there's nothing there that's hollow. Any satisfaction you think you get during that time is just uh, it's, it's false. Meaningless. You know, right? it really is. It's just a temporary thing. So, I, you know, I hope that that made a difference in a lot of them's lives. And I know afterwards we would see some of the kids from time to time, and they would, you know, we'd bump into them, and they would say things to us about what it meant to them you know, to be in the youth group during that time. And so you appreciate that fact, and, and thank God, give the credit where it belongs, because he was orchestrating the whole thing. And uh, talking about working with other kids, if you would <clears throat> like to talk about your family, you and Cheryl, and um, just whatever. Well, uh, two children, uh, Bradley and Jessica, three years younger. Um, so, you know, we, you know, as far as their introduction, they grew up in the church. We, you know, we always had them there, so... They've had that foundation um, underneath of them, and I think through, you know, as you know, there was some. We've had obviously some tragedy in our lives with Brad, mm-hmm. and and so I think through all of what we went through with him, it's really strengthened our faith a great deal. And uh, when I say us, I don't Cheryl and I, and and you know Jessica too. Um, so that's a tough transition when you're dealing with a son who has serious health issues, and you have a, a younger sister. It's hard to try to balance that to make sure that, you know, the younger one's not left behind. And I will say I would interject something here, too, that we had a lot of good, faithful people, friends around us that early on when we were dealing with some serious health issues with Brad stepped up for Jessica. Uh, I remember even her, I think it was her first birthday, if I'm correct in this, that that we weren't there. I was coming back home because he was away at the hospital, and uh, they were having a birthday party for her with Kagan and was walking into that and was like, that's a, that's a real awakening. You know, you can't be there for your child sometimes. But, you know, faithful people who were good Christian people were uh, just a tremendous, you know, help for us and really had a major impact also. Uh, but, you know, through that process, with Bradley's been, you know, an ongoing thing and um, it started when he was very young, about three and a half. So, you know, we've seen a lot through the years and transitioned through the years and, uh, I would say there's, if I could share one particular thing, I think was a huge impact for Cheryl and I. Um, we were at UVA Hospital, and things were really not good. Brad was in a lot of pain. They were not giving us much hope, and to be honest, things were looking pretty bleak. Uh, we were about wore out and frazzled. I was going back and forth still trying to work. Uh, I was working in Dayton at the time, and... Uh, you know, be there as much as I could, and that's where my heart was the whole time. So, you know, it was really tough, and Cheryl tried to maintain as much as she could when I, when I couldn't be there. So we were pretty wore down emotionally and physically and, you know, still had this great deep concern and love for our child who, um, again, they weren't giving us a lot of hope. So this one particular night, um, I guess it was, it was late. Uh, we had been begging him for stuff to help him with pain and different things, and you know, they had this really uncomfortable lounge <laughs> yep. chairs in there you're supposed to stay in. Uh, anyway, so we we kind of separated, went our separate ways, and you know, I dozed off some. But in the middle of the night, I had this moment that, um, what do we call it, come to Jesus moment? Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Uh, when you are so desperate that there's nothing else, you, you, you just strained, like I said, physically, emotionally, anyway, possible and you know you're just crying out to the lord and that's you know what was happening and there was this moment that god 
I know your father, Pastor Kerry, you mm-hmm. say it was louder than vocal or something like that. It wasn't way, audible, it, but it was louder. Yeah, than louder than audible. I mean, I heard it as clear as day, and, he was, and, and, and God was speaking to me. And I just got a tremendous peace at that time in that situation. And I thought, you know, you come to the realization, if this is it, you know, if this is, you know, we might be losing him, then you're in charge. And, you know, we have to trust in that. And uh, you basically, you, at the point, you're just surrendering everything. You just surrender it. Well, I don't know how long that process was. I really don't. Some time passed in that moment with the Lord. As daybreak came, Cheryl and I literally got back together, and I couldn't wait to tell her what I experienced. But it shows you how God works. Separately, he was doing the same thing with Cheryl. She was trying to talk the same time that I was talking, and that's the moment we had together. And he was telling her the same thing. I mean, it was so powerful. And then I think after we talked, we hugged, cried, you know, everything. But it was such a powerful time. I'll, obviously, I don't think I'll ever forget that. And, um, you know, even in a very horrible situation, we had a real peace about it. And so that's continually stayed with us. I mean, that's our faith grew leaps and bounds that night. And uh, you just moved to a... You just move to a different level of acceptance and surrender. And, you know, there's a passage in Limitations talked about his mercies are new every morning. That's what I think about every day when I get up. And so his faithfulness is great, and therefore we have hope. And it's not the type of hope that you think, oh, boy, I hope I get a bicycle for Christmas. It is a faith-filled hope that you know. When we say that hope, you know, and you are convinced God's in charge and things will be right. And for, I think for us, we look at it, you know, Brad doesn't get his healing on this side. He's going to get it on the other side. If, you know, let me say it this way. When we look back now through the years, especially these latter years, we see how God orchestrates. It's amazing for us to watch how he uses Brad in a very tough situation for him, you know, physically and emotionally and stuff, to minister to other people. Anybody that comes in contact with him. Right. If you want to confirm with the recent visit by Pastor Jared, ask Jared about it. Yeah. Well, he's a change boy. I remember <laughs> meeting Brad in high school. So I was Jessica's age. So Brad was a oh, senior right. when yeah, I was yeah. a freshman. Okay. And my first day of high school, I was having trouble getting my locker open. And Brad just happened to walk by about that time and he helped me get my locker open the first day of school. So that was just. That's, that's the way yeah. it was. And, you know, that inspiration is there for us, and then it just bleeds out to everybody else. And, again, as, as I'm stating this now, even his situation now, he, you know, he hasn't lost his sense of humor, his extremely strong will. Uh, there were other occasions since that one I, I just talked about you know, where he'd been back in. He had had other surgeries. There were things going on. He was in uh, ICU, and, you know, I remember the doctor that was in charge of ICU unit coming in basically said, uh, that we don't know, uh, there's nothing else we can do. And he was basically saying, prepare yourself. Right. And I simply said, you don't know our son. Mm-hmm. So uh, just trusting the Lord. But again, however that would have turned out, because of that you know, incident before, I, I felt like we were, we were grounded in it. And, you know, you just work through it in your faith. And, um, you know, he was out of it. They had tubes down his throat and stuff. It was really bad. It was about 4 o'clock in the morning. And um, I was sitting in a chair, and the nurse was over in the other room, and all of a sudden I hear this voice, Dad, I'm thirsty. 
And so he hadn't spoke or done anything for days. The nurse come tearing back in, and she's like this, and I said, he's back. You know, and that's just another incident. And the funny thing is that all this, he has a lot of specialists through the years. So when they come around as a group with that ICU doctor and the way he progressed the next few days and then ended up getting out, I'm sure that was a real learning lesson for him. Uh, you, could, you could tell. He probably stated the wrong thing and was just shocked. And, you know, but again, we serve a mighty God right. that's in charge, and you, you can never tell. I mean, I believe today that anybody can have their healing if God right. so chooses on this side, but I know who, if right. we, as believers and people that have accepted Christ, your healing's going to be there right. in his time. You brought your old Bible in with you that's being held <laughs> together by yeah. duct tape, and you talked about the Lord speaking to you and to Cheryl, but how has he used his word to help get you all through some difficult times? Well, I, you know, I spoke about the, the passage in Lamentations. There's, a, there's another scripture in uh, 1 Peter 1, I think it's 3 through 9. I'll tell people to go look it up. It's about uh, praise God for a living hope. But it talks about the trials and tribulations, and uh, it refers to the fire, the refining fire, you know. But then what comes out on the other side is your genuine faith, and it's credited for you, and you have your salvation in the end. And I think that's a real important one. So I think as we've, you know, as we've read and studied Scripture, those verses uh, are very comforting to us, but allows us to use them. You know, we've, in our, our former church, they had, Cell groups, home groups, we haven't had what, you know, they're all pretty much the same. When that was started, that was a real uh, powerful time for us to study the Word even more, but also to give testimony you know, from that, and that you know, testimony breeds out to other people, just what we're doing now. And uh, so Scripture's always been an integral part of that. Uh, one of our key verses is, it's just a simple one, but it, it really gives summation to you know, our faith walk, I think, and that is Proverbs 3, 5, 6. Look that all the time, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he'll direct thy paths. That takes care of everything. It takes care of everything. There's a lot of other verses I could go to, but that pretty much covers it, and a strong faith is essential. And then I think, you know, once you have that established, you, you want to go to the Word, you know. You want to be in church with fellow believers. You know, I have people ask sometimes, why? Why do you want to go to church all the time? You don't have to go to church you know, to believe or to be saved. Well, technically that's true, but it sure makes a difference when you're with fellow believers. You know, that temptation to be drawn away by the pressures of the world is greater when you're not recharging. I think your faith walk, and that happens with fellow believers, and in corporate worship. For me personally, I don't feel closer to God than, I mean, the, the time, let me, let me say it this way, the time I feel the closest to God is when we're in corporate worship. When I'm in worship, I just, it's just, I just feel like I'm in his presence, you know. And it can be any time. It can be something like this or, you know, when we're reading the word or studying the word. It's just making yourself available and having your heart open to whatever God has for you. You know, when we look at our earthly circumstances through our humanness mm-hmm. and what we can see, we can get overwhelmed really easy. And it sounds like that night before you and Cheryl both had a come to Jesus meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you were looking with this is, you know, because you were you were seeing what was in front of you, what appeared to man and right. uh, that was hopeless. But so often I feel like when we look at our situations, 
it's really hard to put God's perspective on it, right? Like because we're human. When God gave you His perspective that night, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. He gave you yep. a new perspective. Um, everything changes. And I think in the world that we live in today, and we're all facing things, it's different. We all have our different burdens to bear. But you all have learned so much from going through your hard times and in those places finding God's perspective that it builds your faith that you can you can face most anything. And God grows that throughout your life, right? He doesn't it wasn't just that night, but he's grown us, you know, we've and Grayson's been through things, I've been through things, it's different from you. Yeah. But when we hit those hard places, if we can look up, it changes everything. And I think about the Israelites. They were called stiff-necked people all the time. That's right. And the fact was they were looking around, and they had this earthly perspective. And God's like, I'm your father. Look to me. That's not a scripture, but that's just my rendition of when he talked about stiff-necked people. And they'll find themselves in captivity if they won't look to him. I think people, uh, you know, even... I mean, we certainly had faith. We accepted the Lord and stuff in that situation and many, many others. But, you know, there's a difference in, I know I've heard several of the pastors say from the pulpit, we take two steps forward and a step back. And it's that total surrender that you're not, you know, giving it over. Yeah, I I do. I believe, Lord, but look at the situation. You know, this is our baby. And then, you know, he says, don't you think I love him? And even more than you do. Now, when you can accept that, that the most powerful love you have in the world is for a child, I would say, and that God can tell you that I love him even more. I think, you know, when you can look at it, like you say, from that perspective, then you can get to that total surrender moment. And so we don't want to be, I always caution myself, you don't want to be cocky, as a good word, I guess, in your, in your faith, but confident and convinced that we got through all that and what yeah. still could possibly happen, and we can be... I mean, would we still uh, mourn in any of those situations? Of course, but accepting and understanding the big picture, that God's in control, and we have a better life on the other side, then, uh, yeah, I think that helps with any situation. And that gives you a different perspective each day when you get up. That's why I like that limitation scripture so much. His mercies are new. It's every morning. He's totally faithful. And you were talking about the Israelites, and I thought, you know, I've heard so many people think of, say things about God is not patient with us and why has he let this happen and that and I'm thinking, just look at look at that pilgrimage. I mean how often over and over and over they would fall away and you know, not like you say, look at their circumstance and he was still there providing. Still there providing. You know. And he wants to do that for any of us. It doesn't matter the situation. The vilest of the vile. When you look back, I still look at the stories, you know, you know, Paul's situation, I mean, there couldn't have been a viler person. And look how he completely transformed his life, yeah. completely like 110%. I mean, he went as far this way to the other perspective, you know. And, you know, many, many people, Job's situation and, you know, the disciples, they, it, it took a while. I was reading back over 12 Ordinary Men. I was just went through that book again, and it was like, they really took a while. I mean, they got to see so much and I often thought, how can you be with Christ and witness those Miracles and everything had happened, and then still turn around and do something stupid and lose it. But we were human, you know. We are human. Gives us hope, and, don't <laughs> Yeah, and I used to think, Rick, you know, that's the wrong perspective. You can't say, you can't put yourself in that situation. Say, well, if I lived back in that time, and I was one of them, like Peter and John and them, and he done those, I wouldn't fall away. Yeah, you would have. Probably would have. It took a long time, and it took for Christ dying and the resurrection and the instruction that he gave before he left 
to turn those guys into what you know the mighty pillars of the Christianity that started there and went with it that they were. You know, I get a lot of comfort by one of Peter's failures, <laughs> but I get comfort with what Jesus told him before he failed. Mm-hmm. He said, "Satan has asked to sift you like wheat." That's it. And but, he sifted him. But he said, "I am praying that your faith will sustain you." And when you have returned and repented, encourage your brothers. And boy, did he ever! And, and Peter's like, I'm, "I'm, you know, I'll die for you know." He was yeah. all in. And I think about how soon after, you know, Peter realizes, "Oh my goodness, I've done exactly what I said I wouldn't do." Sounds like something Paul would say. Um, but he, he, um, just shortly after that, preached the greatest message. Yeah, yeah. Um, three thousand people were saved. And think about. Like God, God's grace and mercy, and He doesn't discipline us except that it's good for us. He wants what's best for us. He wants us to be able to see from His perspective and to be vessels that can be used. And I think about you and Cheryl and how that night you both were changed. And I would mm-hmm. say the doctor may have been right that night, but God performed a miracle, right? God has yeah. the final say. Um, God's the one that numbers our days. And Amen. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing. That's a powerful story, and I believe that there are those listening that right. it will bring great hope to. Right. Yeah. Rick, thank you for joining us for today's broadcast of Hope Talks. It's been great to have you. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. It was a pleasure. I just pray a blessing over you and Cheryl and Brad and Jessica and the thank rest you. of your family. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. We pray that as you've heard Rick Chandler's testimony today, that it truly has been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Hope Talks is sponsored by Church of the Nazarene Harrisonburg in partnership with Sunshine Ministries. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Hope Talks. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe for all the updates and latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisonburg or Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.